Kitisa tells of one of the most shocking moments of the 40 years in the wilderness, when less than six weeks after the greatest revelation in history, Israel's encounter with God at Mount Sinai, they made a golden calf. Either this was idolatry or perilously close to it, and it caused God to say to Moses, who was with him on the mountain, Now do not try to stop me when I unleash my wrath against them to destroy them. What I want to look at here is the role played by Aaron, for it was he who was the de facto leader of the people in the absence of Moses and whom the Israelites approached with their proposal. The people began to realize that Moses was taking a long time to come down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron and said to him, Make us a god or an oracle to lead us. We have no idea what happened to Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt. It was Aaron who should have seen the danger, Aaron who should have stopped them, Aaron who should have told them to wait, have patience and trust. But instead, this is what happened. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they'd handed him and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it a molten calf. Then they said, This Israel is your God who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented peace offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. The Torah itself seems to blame Aaron, if not for what he did then, at least for what he allowed to happen. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. Now Aaron was not an insignificant figure. He'd shared the burden of leadership with Moses. He'd already become or was about to be appointed high priest. What then was in his mind while this drama was being enacted? Essentially, there are three lines of defense of Aaron in the Midrash, the Zohar, and the medieval commentators. According to the first, Aaron was playing for time. His actions were a series of delaying tactics. He told the people to take the gold earrings their wives, sons and daughters were wearing, reasoning to himself while they're quarreling with their children and wives about the gold. There'll be a delay and Moses will come. His instructions to build an altar and proclaim a festival to God the next day were likewise intended to buy time because Aaron was convinced that Moses was on his way. The second line of defense is to be found in the Talmud, and is based on the fact that when Moses departed to ascend the mountain, he left not just Aaron, but also Hor in charge of the people. Yet Hor doesn't figure in the narrative of the golden calf. According to the Talmud, Hor had opposed the people, telling them that what they were about to do was wrong, and was then killed by them. Aaron saw this and decided that proceeding with the making of the calf was the lesser of two evils. This is what the Talmud says. Aaron saw Hor lying slain before him and said to himself, if I don't obey them, they'll do to me what they did to Hor, and so will be fulfilled the fear of the prophet. Shall the priest, Aaron, and the prophet Hor be slain in the sanctuary of God? If that happens, they will never be forgiven. Better let them worship the golden calf for which they may yet find forgiveness through repentance. The third line of defense, argued by Ibn Ezra, 
is actually that the calf wasn't an idol at all. And what the Israelites did was, in Aaron's view, permissible. After all, the people's complaint was, we've no idea what happened to Moses. They didn't say, we've no idea what happened to God. They didn't want a God substitute. They wanted a Moses substitute, an oracle, something through which they could hear or discern God's instructions, not unlike the Urim and Tumim that were eventually given to the high priest. Those who saw the calf as an idol, saying, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt, were only a tiny minority, 3,000 of them, among a population of 600,000. And for that minority, Aaron couldn't be blamed. So there is a systematic attempt in the history of interpretation to mitigate or minimize Aaron's culpability. Inevitably so, because we don't find explicitly that Aaron was punished for the golden calf, even though Abarbanel says that he was punished later. Yet with all the generosity we can muster, it's hard to see Aaron as anything but weak, especially in the reply he gives to Moses when his brother finally appears and demands an explanation. Don't be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us a God who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. There's more than a hint here of the answer Saul gave Samuel explaining why he didn't carry out the prophet's instructions. He blames the people. He suggests he had no choice. He was passive. Things happened. He minimizes the significance of what's transpired. Now that is weakness, not leadership. So what is really extraordinary is the way later tradition made Aaron a hero. Most famously in the words of Hillel, Have Ketalmidav shall Aaron be like the disciples of Aaron, Oiv shalom, Rodev shalom, loving peace, pursuing peace, loving people and bringing them close to the Torah. Now, there are famous Haggadic traditions about how Aaron was able to turn enemies into friends and sinners into observers of the Torah. The Sifra says that Aaron never said to anyone, you have sinned. It's quite extraordinary since one of the tasks of the high priest was once a year to atone for the sins of the nation. Yet there is nothing of this explicitly in the Torah itself. The only proof text cited by the sages is the passage in Malachi, the last of the prophets, who says about the Kohen in general, my covenant was with him of life and peace. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. But what Malachi is talking about is about priests in general, not the historical figure of Aaron. So perhaps the most instructive passage is the Talmudic discussion in Sanhedrin as to whether arbitration as opposed to litigation is a good thing or a bad thing. The Talmud presents this as a conflict between two role models, Moses and Aaron. Moses' motto was, Yikov hadin et aha, let the law pierce the mountain. Aaron, however, loved peace, pursued peace, and made peace between man and man. Aaron was a man of arbitration where Moses was a man of law. Moses was a man of truth. Aaron of peace. Moses sought justice. Aaron sought conflict resolution. Now, there's a real difference between these two approaches, truth, justice, law. 
these zero-sum equations. If I'm right, you're wrong. If x is true, then y is false. But mediation, conflict resolution, compromise, the Aaron-type virtues are all attempts at a non-zero outcome in which both sides feel that they've been heard and their claim has, at least in part, been honoured. The Talmud puts it brilliantly by way of a comment on the phrase, judge truth and the justice of peace, mishpat shalom, in your gates. On this, the Talmud asks about the phrase, mishpat shalom, the justice of peace. What can that possibly mean? The Talmud says, if there's justice, there's no peace. If there's peace, there's no justice. What is mishpat shalom? This is arbitration. Now let's go back to Moses, Aaron, and the golden calf. Although it's clear that God and Moses regarded the calf as a major sin, Aaron's willingness to pacify the people, trying to delay them, sensing that if he simply said no, they'd kill him and make it anyway, was not wholly wrong. To be sure, at that moment, the people needed a Moses, not an Aaron. But under other circumstances and in the long run, they needed both. Moses is the voice of truth and justice, Aaron with the people's skills to conciliate and make peace. That is how Aaron eventually emerged in the long hindsight of tradition as the peacemaker. Peace is not the only virtue. And peacemaking is not the only task of leadership. We must never forget that when Aaron was left to lead, the people made a golden calf. But never think either that a passion for truth and justice is sufficient. Moses needed an Aaron to hold the people together. In short, leadership is the capacity to hold together different temperaments, conflicting voices, and clashing values. Every leadership team needs both a Moses and an Aaron, a voice of truth and a force for peace. Shabbat Shalom.